This morning we're going to continue looking at 1 Peter as we started last week. We started looking how Peter talks in his writing and he gives us hints and topics that really suggest his overall theme. Uh, one of his overall themes that I'm kind of looking at here is not of this world, not of this world. And last week we talked about holy living and how holy living is one of those things is definitely not of this world. And one of the points that we talked about was that uh, mainly is that holy living is not something that we do. It's who we are in Christ. It's our transformed identity. And it's surely not of this world. And the second thing we're going to talk about today is also another thing that is not of this world. And before we get into that, I want to remind you of the context here. You know, in real estate, they use a phrase that says location, 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 because location means everything to determine the value of a home. And I have a phrase that I use when studying the Bible. It's called context, 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 because there is nothing more powerful when you're reading Scripture than context, and there is nothing more wrong and fallible when you take a scripture out of context. And so when we're reading the Bible and when we're teaching the Bible, it's important that we pay attention to the context, context, context. Who is, being wrote, who is the scripture being wrote to at that time? What is the historical setting of that time? What is the understanding, the cultural understanding of that time? It is so important that we understand context, context, context. And most of the time I have discovered that when you do a little bit of digging and you find the context, Context of what is being said. It makes that scripture just come alive a thousand times more to what we're trying to understand and, and learn. And this is one of those that we're listening here to today. And we know in 1 Peter that the, he tells us that he's writing to the exiles of the dispersion. And we're going to get to a scripture reading in a minute, but we know that the Bible tells us here that he's writing to, and he uses this word often, aliens, foreigners, strangers, exiles. We know that these are a people as a result of the dispersion, the dispersion probably because of persecution. They have been scattered all over the world at the time, the Roman world at the time. And here we see them in their exile. And we know from what Peter is writing to them that exile is not easy. There is, there is something difficult and hard about when you're away from the place that you know is home and you are a stranger in a new place. And not only are you a stranger, but you're not welcome there. It's challenging. It's difficult. And so you can only imagine the, the ridicule that came along with this because they were strangers and exiles, because they were not welcome. You can only imagine how people talked about them behind their back as they were walking down the street. There goes those Christians making fun of them, pointing at them, spitting at them, persecuting them, finding whatever reason they could to throw them in prisons and beat them. We know this is true. We know this is the world of the Roman world, especially for the church at the time. Persecution is rampant. There is these people who are preaching, Jesus is Lord. But there are the Romans who are saying, no, Caesar is Lord. And it's creating a problem. Because there is only one Lord. And the Christians know that, but the Roman world doesn't know that. And so anytime that someone says, Jesus is Lord, it creates a conflict. 
And conflict is never pretty. Conflict is never easy. Conflict is never something that settles in our soul. And I, I really want you to get how difficult this is for them this morning. It is challenging. We know. And we're not going to talk about it today, but Peter goes at great lengths. And he talks about suffering in his writing here. All five chapters, First Peter, he talks about suffering. We know that the believers here, they are suffering. They are suffering under the strong hand of persecution. Not only that, but they're suffering in poverty. They don't have the means to survive, find food. They're struggling. We know suffering is a big deal for them. And so here are these early believers. They are having a hard time. And all of this, Peter is trying to write to them and encouraging them to the exiles of the dispersion. I want you to hear me. And so this morning we're going to read a scripture here in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. And we're going to kind of bounce around so you can follow along with me. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. He says, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and exiles, there's those words, to abstain from the desires of the flesh that wage war against the soul. We talked about that last week. Holy living is this desire of the flesh waging war against the soul. And so he calls them to do this. Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles so that though they malign you as evildoers, some translations they use a, a little bit easier word to understand, though they accuse you as evildoers, they may see your honorable deeds and glorify God when he comes to judge. I want you to pay attention to this word, word judge because as we talked last week, it's a word that Peter uses frequently. Verse 13 he says, for the Lord's sake, accept authority over, of every human institution, whether of the emperor as supreme or of governors as sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to praise those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing right, you should silence the ignorance of the foolish. As servants of God, live as free people, yet do not use your freedom as a pretext for evil. Honor everyone, love the family of believers, fear God, honor the emperor. And then he goes in, and I'm going to kind of just summarize this because this is really another message for another time. But he goes in and he begins to talk about relationships. And he talks about the relationships of slaves to their masters and husbands to their wives and wives to their husbands. And we're not going to dissect that fully, but there is a point here that speaks to the greater point that we're going to pick up here and read in verse 20. If you endure when you are beaten for doing wrong, what credit is that? But if you endure when you do right and suffer for it, you have God's approval. For to this you have been called. Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. And when he was abused, he did not return abuse. And when he suffered, he did not threaten, but he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. We're going to go to chapter 3, verse 8. You know, the thing about reading New Testament letters is it's kind of like uh, run on thought after run on thought after run on thought. And so this is why we're kind of bouncing around is because Peter picks up his thought again in verse 8 here. Finally, you hear his point there. All of you have unity of spirit, sympathy, love for one another, a tender heart and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or abuse for abuse, but on the contrary, repay with a blessing. It is for that, this that you were called, that you might inherit a blessing. 
And then he goes in and he quotes a passage from the Psalms. And I just want to read the verse 12. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. What challenging thoughts for us today in our 21st century world. And one of the things that I think hit me the most as I read this once again is that how foreign it is to our lives, to our culture, to the world that we live in now. What a strange concept that somebody does you wrong and you don't repay that back. No, that's not welcome here. That's, that's a, that's, that must be ancient thinking. No, that's biblical thinking. We're going to talk about it. The idea that if someone abuses you, you still love them anyways. The idea that here is Jesus, when he was abused, he did not return. The idea that he suffered and he didn't speak up with a threat. The idea that when Jesus was being put in chains and walked away to the cross where he did not deserve, it was an injustice of injustices. There is Peter who pulls out a sword and cuts off the, the high priest's servant's ear. And Jesus, in the moment of the most ugliest type of betrayal there was, picks up that ear and puts it back on, and he's healed. That type of love, oh, it's strange. That type of love is what Peter brings into the greater picture. It's not of this world. And this is what I want to talk to you about this morning. Not of this world, loving the unlovable. Loving the unlovable. This is a hard one today. This is a hard one because it's easy. Oh, it's so easy to love people when they love you. It just makes everything just so wonderful and great and flowery and beautiful. It's just, it's, it's easy. It's easy when you walk into a store and someone says, Hey, how are you today? I'm great. How are you today? But it's another thing when you walk into a store and they say, What are you doing here? Get out of here. No, that type of thing is strange. It's an easy thing. When someone, you're driving down the road and everything is just wonderful and you get to a place and you need to merge into traffic and someone flashes their lights and says, come on over. But it's another thing when you're driving down the road and someone cuts you off and you say, no, I'm going to go up there, I'm going to cut them off too. I'm going to show them, get a taste of their own medicine. That type of thinking is strange to this world. It's foreign. It's difficult. Because it's a principle that requires us to embrace the substance of God is love. In our world, since the fall of man has been trying to understand love and human terms. But love cannot be conceptualized in terms of human. Because humanity is fallen. Humanity expects something. Humanity wants something in return. But to truly understand love, you have to understand God because God himself is love. And then when you understand that God is love, loving the unlovable seems to make a lot more sense because if God is love and God helps us to just love because that's what love is, then it's easy to love the unlovable because it has nothing to do with their actions. Who are the unlovable? Well, first, the unlovable are all of us here today. All of us here this morning, if it were not for the grace of God, did not deserve love. The unlovable are the ones who say, I love you to your face, but later talk evil about you. The unlovable are the ones who, go out of your, who you go out of your way for them, but they all have to just throw it back in your face. The unlovable are the ones when things start to get rough in your life and you need them, they seemingly disappear. They betray, they gossip, they gossip, 
they slander. Essentially, they become enemies. And when you think about all of those things, you think about the people who, when Jesus needed them the most at his arrest, they betrayed him, they denied him, they ran away, they abandoned him, and there is innocent Jesus being led to a cross to be crucified, though he did it joyfully. The important thing is we're going to talk today is that this is that love is a heavenly principle that the church is intended to make real. Love is a heavenly principle that the church is intended to make real. Meaning that love is something that we learn from God. And if God is love and we abide in God and God abides in us, then that love also abides in us as well. And that's a whole other sermon series and study in 1 John. A beautiful scriptures there. But love is what you and I as the church of Jesus Christ, all of the world is trying to figure out what is love, trying to sing songs about it, answer it, and make it real, and try to figure it out, write poems, write books, what is this thing, what is that thing. But the true answer is, is that God is love. And as the church, as Jesus' witnesses on the earth, it's our responsibility to demonstrate the reality of that love. It's our responsibility to show what that type of love really looks like. This is why it's so important that when you and I, we go from this place on Sunday mornings, we get in our cars and we ride out of here, is that what comes out of our heart is not a different spirit, but is the spirit of love. Because if the world, and this is what Peter argues for, if the world is ever going to know God, if we're ever going to make God real to the world, it's going to be by teaching them who is love. And as the church of Jesus Christ, surely we ought to demonstrate the principle that he gave most freely to you and I, love. Love, love, love. And loving the unlovable is something that Jesus taught about. He teaches it about in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. He goes to great lengths, and we'll talk a little bit about that today. But Jesus teaches a principle that is going to be very hard for all of us here this morning. And it's a principle that Peter is trying to teach the church once again. Love your friends. Now, he says that, but that's not what he said. Love your enemies. There is nothing really harder in the Christian life than loving somebody who doesn't like you, who doesn't love you. There is nothing more challenging in the Christian life when all you have tried to do is be a good person and that person cannot accept it. There is nothing more challenging in the Christian life when your whole life principle and philosophy is built on the principle of love and you go out of your way to demonstrate that. You knock on their door, you bring gifts of kindness, and it is just simply not welcome. There is nothing more challenging. And if there is anybody who knew that well, it was Jesus himself who came to give his life, who came to be an example for us all, walked to the streets with the people. He bore human flesh, God himself. But they spat at him. They abused him. At one point, he's in the temple. He picks up the scroll of Isaiah. He begins to teach some wonderful teaching. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the good news. And as I... Jesus finishes his teaching. He rolls up the scroll. He hands it back to the temple leader. He sits down, and they begin to discuss it, and a riot breaks out, and they begin to try to find Jesus so that they can throw him off of the cliff, the Bible says. 
he wasn't welcome. Jesus came and healed the sick. He raised the dead. Blind eyes were open. You would think that what Jesus was doing was a good thing. But then there was this religious spirit that knew nothing of love. They only knew the law. And the law without love, oh, it's a deadly thing. And they tried to kick him out of the streets, kick him off of their temples, kick them out of the courts. You're trying to do a miracle on the Sabbath, Jesus? No! Crucify him! It was nothing but just ridicule after ridicule after ridicule. And so when we're talking about loving the unlovable this morning, may we understand that there is a God who understands very well what it means to love the unlovable. Because even in the greatest moment of betrayal, as Jesus is being, nails are being put in his hand, and he's being hung upon a cross, he would look at them, and he would cry out. It wasn't, Father, smite them. It wasn't, Father, curse them. It wasn't, Father, get rid of them. Send a league of angels to take me away. It was, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Jesus erred on the side of innocence and he tried to believe that the best was still in humanity. Their eyes had been blinded, that they don't understand love. If they truly understood what was before them in love, then they wouldn't do this. So, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And this concept is what Peter knows very well as one who failed, as one who actually betrayed Jesus, that here he was loving Peter, calling him to himself, ordaining him with purpose, and then Jesus would get arrested, and here is Peter around a fire cussing with some friends and betraying Jesus, saying, that Jesus, I don't know him. What are you talking about? I wasn't with him. So Peter understood very well what it means to love the unlovable because he himself was the one who was loved. So the Peter goes on and he teaches some principles that talks to the church that even though they are living in the Roman world, that is not welcoming of this Bible, that is not welcoming of the principles of God, that is not welcoming of the theology and the thought of who God's greatness is. In the middle of all of that, does it sound familiar? In the middle of all of that culture, in the middle of all of that life, here's what the church needs to hear. And it was this. The first thing he told him was this. Verse 12 in chapter 2. Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles, so that though they accuse you as evildoers, they may see your honorable deeds and glorify God when he comes to judge. Love is this. When we're, when we're loving the unlovable, it is love unreciprocated. Biblical love is love unreciprocated. What does that mean? Giving love to expect love in return is no longer love. It's just a favor. But giving love because God is love and not expecting anything in return, that is love that comes from God. It's freely given. It's freely passed. It doesn't say, no, this, and, and the amazing thing is, is this happened to me in my life, and I've seen it happen through this church, through outreach ministries, and sometimes a meal will get given, or somebody will get blessed and helped in some way, and they will say, why are you doing this? Because we love you. What do you mean you love me? 
And it's so strange and crazy how often this happens is people can't seem to understand that true love is this. Freely you have been given. Freely you, or freely you have received. Freely you shall give. Love doesn't come at a cost. Love just is given. There is nothing to be expected in return. And this is what Peter is telling them this. Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles. So even if they accuse you as evildoers... Now imagine this for a moment. Is here is the church and Peter is having the audacity to tell them to live honorably among this world that is falsely accusing them. But I want to tell you something. If you start to read the New Testament, the book of Acts, all the way through Revelation, you will understand that the church was always falsely accused. And even though the church was always falsely accused, they always generously loved. And what a model for you and I today that there will always be accusations against Christians. Because of my name's sake, Jesus said. There will always be people who will speak bad about those who serve the Lord. It's just the matter of evil that is trying to overcome good in this world. Jesus Christ and the enemy's work. But where there is love... And where there is power to love, that love can break through every false accusation. And as Peter says here, it can demonstrate honorable deeds and glorify God. The question we all have to ask in our lives when we're wanting to love and trying to give love unreciprocated is who is trying to be glorified through my life? If I'm trying to glorify myself, then my respect might get hurt a little bit. My pride might get hurt a little bit. But if I'm trying to glorify God and I love just because, then it doesn't matter if I get anything in return. It doesn't matter if I'm falsely recused. You know what? It matters because God is glorified. And that's the only thing that matters. It doesn't matter if I get anything back. It simply matters because God is love. I will generously love. Even when Jesus was in the garden, and here comes Judas, the one who had betrayed him. What did Jesus do? He looked at him, and the Bible said, friend. The very one who had handed him over to be crucified. He called him friend. It's love unreciprocated. And even though we are falsely accused, and even though there will always be accusations, the way that the world will be changed... The way that the world will be made different is that even though they accuse you, that they might see your honorable deeds and glorify God when He comes to judge. The way that the world is going to be changed through this, even in the midst of false accusations against the church, is when we just simply honorable deeds and glorify God not trying to get anything in return, not trying to accuse, not trying to back it back up again or get into a fight. It's simply love unreciprocated. And he brings up a point here when he comes to judge, which brings us to our next point. He tells them in 1 Peter chapter 2, he says, If you endure when you do right and suffer for it, you have God's approval. For to do this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. When he was abused, watch this here, he did not return abuse. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he entrusted himself to the one, here's this word again, who judges justly. Loving the unlovable is about giving love unreciprocated, and it's secondly about considering eternity. 
you'll notice that Peter does not excuse their wrongdoing. Peter doesn't say, well, you know, they don't know any better. You know, forget about it. That's not what Peter says. He doesn't excuse injustice. He doesn't say they should get away with it. He says when you do it, it's in this way. Jesus modeled it for it. Entrust yourself to the one who judges justly. In all of the wrongdoing in the world, in all of the things and the evil that is happening, there are plenty of judges out there, but there are few who love. There are plenty of people who can point out, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong. But there are few people who can say, that's wrong, but I love you anyways. There are few people who can embrace this idea that the thing that really matters in all of the big picture is eternity. And I know this is wrong. And I know that it shouldn't be happening. But in the face of all of this, I'm going to love anyways. Because in light of eternity, God is going to be the one who judges, not me. And all God is asking for me right now is to simply love. Simply give my love. Simply lay it upon them. Pour it upon them. Love with eternity in mind. Love as if they don't know what tomorrow is going to hold. Love as if you can't see the future, but you know, I am just going to love because it will glorify God entrusted himself, the Bible says, to the one who judges justly. And Peter brings that up a lot, talking about the judge, talking about the one who judges justly. Because in all of the injustices that the church was facing, they wanted to get back, they wanted to retaliate. And what God was calling them to do was don't live in a ministry that retaliates, live in a ministry that loves. Because in a ministry that loves, you will change the world. In a ministry that retaliates, you will hinder the cause of the gospel. And so what he was calling them to do was simply entrust ourselves to the one who judges justly. Every person on all of the world, the Bible tells us throughout all of history that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. If that is the case, then I don't have to worry about forcing someone to bow, forcing someone to get on their knees and if, if confess Jesus is Lord. I simply love them. I simply pour it upon them because the Bible already tells me that one day it's going to happen anyways. And I just have to love them as Jesus would. It's loving with considering eternity in mind. Thinking about for a few moments that this life is futile in a snap of a finger, in the blink of an eye. I've been stuck on the words of 1 Thessalonians 4 lately, in the twinkling of an eye. That kind of thought that just in the moment things can change forever. In just a silence, slip of a pass of a moment, it can change. Consider eternity. If we are not of this world, then we have to live as if we're going to a world that is beyond this world. If we are truly the people who claim we are just pilgrims passing through, then we have to demonstrate a lifestyle and a love that isn't re representative of this world. We have to show that there is a greater love, that there is something more than just the type of love that says, well, I'll love you, but I want you to give me something back in return. You do me wrong, I want to retaliate. Listen, that isn't the gospel that Jesus showed us and demonstrated. The gospel that Jesus showed us and demonstrated was the fact as he sat upon that cross and he saw all of their sin before them, it wasn't this idea of smite them, take them out. It was, Father, forgive them. Why? Because Jesus knew that this was just a moment in time and eternity was the big picture. 
Thirdly, as you go over to 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 8, he calls them to do this. Finally, all of you have unity of spirit, sympathy, love for one another, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or abuse for abuse. It doesn't get any plainer than that. But on the contrary, I love this phrase. I'm going to put this on something somewhere. Repay with a blessing. Repay with a blessing. It is for this that you were called. Wow. I read that and I just kind of got shook a little bit. I just kind of got shook a little bit because I thought, how many times when someone has done something wrong to me and I just wanted to get back at them? How, to, how many times someone has just done, said something hurtful to me and I just wanted to say something hurtful right back? But then Peter throws these words in my face and says that do not repay evil for evil, abuse for abuse, but on the contrary, repay with a blessing. Don't, why? Don't just repay with a blessing because that's what you do. That's what you were called. That's why all of us here today as believers in the Lord Jesus, we were called to repay with a blessing. And may we leave here this morning knowing that whatever harmful thing is done towards me, hurtful thing, rude the thing that is done to me, God has called me to repay with a blessing. God has called me to simply love. This is what Jesus was teaching when he said this, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemies. But I'm telling you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. If they want to take your cloak, just give it all to them. Just go the extra mile. This was the picture that Jesus was trying to demonstrate. Is that we are called by pur with purpose to repay with a blessing. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul is talking about this. He says, when reviled, we bless when persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we speak kindly. And we have become like the rubbish of the world, the dregs of all things to this very day. If we wait to love people who are deserving of love, we may soon find that there are very few who are deserving of love, including ourselves. But if we love because it's time to repay with a blessing, because God is love, then we will find that no one, is unlovable. No one is unlovable. Because why? For God so loved the world. If God Almighty, the image of all that is right, all that is righteous and perfect and holy, if God Almighty could love this world and the wickedness that it is, you and I as products of sin can surely love like that as well. And this is why Jesus came to demonstrate a love that was radical and that was different. Is that we're not called to repay evil for evil. Is we're called to repay with a blessing. Why? Because here is this church in the middle of the Roman world. They're standing before all of the Gentiles. And all the hope is, is that maybe they won't listen to us. Maybe they'll persecute us. But we just hope that at the end of it all, when we've gone from this place, they will see there is something that is different about those people. There is something strange about those people. Because when I hurt them, they loved me anyways. When I beat them with a rod, they loved me anyways. I persecuted them, but they loved me anyways. 
What type of love is that? That's a love that only comes from the Father. I'm going to ask the musicians to come. So I was thinking about loving the unlovable. I couldn't help but think about just, and I've, I think I've shared this story with you before, but just some great people that I've just always looked up to their story, their example. And that's the story of Jim Elliott, and Nate Saint, who felt a call to go to the Waidani tribe off the coast of the Amazon River in Brazil and felt called by God to go and take the gospel. As Peter, as Paul, as others did in the Bible, they felt compelled by love to go and share the gospel. What an amazing thing. All of us, we answer the call of God at some point in our lives. And here they are, they're trying to just make contact. They don't know the language, they don't know what's really the, the customs of the culture. They don't know anything. They know that these people haven't even been exposed to other people. And so all they have is this yellow airplane that flies above the people and they would drop gifts to try to get, reach them. They would drop peace offerings, if you will. They would try to make contact. They would try to go and reach. And then on one fateful day in 1956, they landed their plane on a beach that they had called Palm Beach there. And as they got out of their plane, some members of the Wadani tribe came at them fiercely, struck them all with spears. Every one of them were killed that day. They tore apart their, their possessions. They threw their bodies in the water. They left it there and just viciousness, ugliness. Of course, there's families who were living nearby, Elizabeth Elliot and others, heard their story, found out what had happened eventually. And of course, there's great mourning and great grief that comes from that. Then when you think about a verse like this, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8, repay with a blessing, for this is what you were called for. I thought about Elizabeth Elliot. How when the days came in the near future, they took up their long belongings, they took up their peace offerings, they went back to that tribe once again to preach the gospel that they may know Jesus. And you know what? Not long after, that whole tribe came to the Lord, surrendered their lives to Jesus. And as a matter of fact, that one of the young boys who was there, who was the child of, Steve, of Nate Saint, his name was Steve. Steve would later grow up in that area and he became friends, get this, with the father, with the man who killed his father. And they would go all around the world telling the story about, here is the man who killed my father. But God saved him and rescued him and changed him forevermore. And I was so privileged some years ago to be given a gift that I keep in my office to remind me of this. If I can get this off of here. When you talk about loving the unlovable, there is nothing more vicious than that picture. And some years ago, I was given a, this picture. This is a piece of fabric here. And this came from the Wadani tribe within the last 15, 20 years or so. And these came from missionaries who now work there and live there on a regular basis, working with that tribe. And I hang this in my office as a reminder to me 
all the time. Go into all the world. Preach the gospel to every creature. And there is no one, listen to me, there is no one who God's love can't reach and change. And if you as you and I as the church would learn to embrace that, I just wonder how many people in our world would be like them. He killed my father. But now he's telling others, I was changed by the miraculous power of the gospel. Repent, be baptized, Peter would say. That man surely did it. So Peter closes this passage and he says, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. His ears are open to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. God's eyes are on the righteous. He sees their plight. God's ears are listening to their prayer. He hears their cry. And God's face is altogether turned away from evil. This is to say that God sees and hears when his people are hurt, suffering, abandoned, and his attention and his heart is towards those who love like he did. That's God's heart. God's heart is to love the unlovable because he came and found you and I. Will you stand with me this morning? Would you just close your eyes with me today? It's not of this world. You won't find it in a book. You won't find it in seminary. You won't find it in a sermon. It's a gift of the Holy Spirit working through us. It's called love. And it changes the world one person at a time. And God has made this place today. God has made this sanctuary a house of love. That even though there might be assault, offense, whatever it might be, we just repay with a blessing. Because that's how the world will know that we are his disciples. And this morning, can I just encourage you today by the power of the Holy Spirit that we be filled with love. This type of love that the early church had that would change the world. Oh, the, the corners of our community where there are people who say, don't love me, don't mess with me, don't talk to me, but who need love the most. That God would help us to love even in the face of that type of rejection. Love our enemies. Pray for those who persecute us. And so this morning, today, we're going to pray that God would fill us with love as the choir comes this morning. And maybe as I'm preaching here today, you're hearing about love and it's, you're just amazed as I was so many years ago. Oh my goodness, how God can love like that and help his people to love. I need that love in my life. And maybe that's you today. I want to tell you today, God does not look at you and see your sin. He looks at you and sees you. He sees you as your child and he's able to forgive you and cast your sin as far as the east is from the west. Why? Because he loves. And so this morning, you need that love today. Just feel free to come stand here at the front. We'd be happy to pray for you this morning. We'd be glad to just stand around you and just put our arms and pray with you. 
You need a fresh feeling of love today. You're saying, Charlie, I'm feeling a little empty on my love. Just come stand this morning. We'd be happy to pray with you today. I'm going to stand down here. I need God's love to fill my heart. We can reach our community. Feel free to come. So, Lord, this morning we come to you today, God, and we just pray, Lord, that today that, God, you would come and help us to love, Lord. Help us to love like you loved, Lord. Help us, Father, to take up our cross, Lord, and to love the world that you've placed us in. We know, Lord, we are not of this world, Lord, but we know that love, oh, how it covers a multitude of sins, Lord. Perfect love cast out fear. We know, Lord, you're calling us to love the unlovable. So, Lord, help us today to repay with a blessing, Lord. And for those who are in need of your love this morning, I pray, God, your love would just cover them. And, Lord, that you might remind them today that you love them. And there's nothing they could ever do that will change how much you love them. But you love them just because that's who you are. So, Lord, let your love come this morning. Fill our hearts today, Lord. Anoint us with your love. Fill us with the Holy Spirit. Oh, how we need your love today. Come, Holy Spirit. Let's sing today as we pray.